Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly in this first edition of the year where we explore the big political stories at the moment. I'm Mike Siluma. Thanks for joining us. One of the biggest problems of our country is the failure of the state to provide services of good quality to us, the citizens, such as public health services, transport and education, among others. This week, Sunday Times columnist uh, Professor William Gumete suggested in his column uh, that the solution may lie in forcing political leaders to use public services in order to improve them. Uh, William Gumete, who is Associate Professor at the School of Governance at Vets University, joins us to expand on his very interesting proposition. Also with us for today's conversation is Professor Busani Ngaweni, who is Principal of the National School of Government. With immediate effect. When people saw and I quote, in two years' time, Eskim's problems will be a thing of the past. People won't even remember load shedding. Unquote. They put saliva on the paper. I'm in charge. That's why these fools are running around here. I'm in charge. And then they share that zone. Point of order, Chaperson. Point of order. The ruling party by order, order. Must step aside within 30 days. No, I'm not going to apologize. He has no brains whatsoever. So the AC president was sabotaged again yesterday? Well, sabotage, that can be This is not a shit. Well, welcome to the both of you, gentlemen. Uh, William, let's start with you. Uh, wh- what is the essence of your proposition? No, no, thank you um, for having me again on the program. Um, the essence really is um, we lack accountability, a culture of accountability in the public sector. And that is why we have delivery failures. We have all the promises we've got. Now, if one look at what happened at, in the developmental states after the Second World War in East Asia, the so-called East Asian Tigers, what they did really there, which I think was very important in, in terms of bringing accountability to bear on those um, who deliver services. You know, the first thing is what they did was say elected representatives and public representatives were almost compelled to use the public services. Now, that almost immediately brought your people responsible for delivering at the coalface of, um, you know, the quality of services. And then also in other societies, if you look after the Second, uh, Second World War, um, in the European social democratic states, whether they were conservative ones or Christian ones, uh, or, or, or rather the, the European welfare states, whether social democratic or conservative or Christian, uh, you know, they were very elected representatives of these go- those governing parties were, um, although not by, uh, through rules, uh, by but through convention and custom, there is an obligation really to live to live humbly and to use public services. You, you know, people were walking. Um, um, we had mayors in, in some places walking um, to work uh, or, um, you know, people uh, were cycling, um, using public um, services and so on. And, you know, so, and, and again, even on the African continent, again, if you look at, you know, if the countries has done very well since the Second World War, Botswana, the first couple of, of um, leaders there were very humble people. They stood in queues uh, at the post office or in shops and so on. So what it brought about the psychology of these societies as it introduced was one of accountability, that those who deliver services also use that same services. And I think that brought accountability. And I think from our point of view in South Africa, 
uh, I think it's very useful that we should look at that type of methods to improve uh, the quality of public services. Mm. Would, would this extend to, you know, because uh, in a sense, you know, the, the provision of public of good public service or any uh, quality uh, public service uh, is as much a a, a factor of the political leaders as it is of public servants. Now, would this uh, extend to public servants, William? Uh, you know, and yes, it would extend then also to let rather say your senior management, you know, your senior managers um, in the public services. Um, you know, the idea that they also would use um, uh, uh, public services. I mean, in places like uh, Singapore, for example, and South Korea, what they did. Um, they even did a you know regular audits of you know of everyone up to a, a director level in the South African equivalent um, on a regular basis to see um, you know their wealth where they live, uh, the kind of uh, uh, cars they have, private cars or, or what, to get a sense um, be, uh, because there was uh, almost an urgency to get a, at least you know the first decades or so of those developmental states in Asia. South Korea, Singapore, Taiwan, um, and so on, you know, to get um, those who deliver services and those who are elected, um, you know, so that to get them um, to feel almost the same pain as everyone else, as their constituencies. Mm -hmm. Ebusan, you you have been uh, working in the public service for a long time, but I know you have kept a very critical view, you know, a very... A objective view about the quality of public services and and also about what we we as South Africans you know can do uh, to improve the, the 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 quality of the of the public service. Do, do you agree with uh, William's proposition? Well, yes, thank you. Partly, I do uh, agree with him, and I'd like to cite uh, some examples and also indicate where our views may may differ. So, a few years ago, I wrote in a newspaper, I think in the Sunday Times. An article it, it, called it had better be, have been it had better have been in the Sunday Times. <laughs> I, I think it was, but the yeah. title of the article was "The Inconvenience Is Our Middle Name." So I listened an article about how myself, the former Director General of uh, National Treasury, you know, Agriculture, then and the several others, we were booked on a flight to go to the Eastern Cape to go to the site of the proposed Omzimbubu Dam. And we got such a major inconvenience when the now uh, dead SA Express flight got cancelled without us being informed that it had been cancelled. And we had to go to a major inconvenience of having to change flights when we had already checked in. We were on the other side waiting to waiting to board. The message came through. It was late and we had to move to Adam flight. And it was like an, an hour of inconvenience the airport. And of course, we got onto a later flight. The, some of them, including the DG of National Treasury, got the most inconvenience because he had to land in East London. Unfortunately, we got the flight and got when and landed in Umtata. And between Umtata now, we had to go to a site where we had to wait for this DG of National Treasury, whom at the time was looking at some of the requests from SA Express which were requesting them to give a bailout to SAS present. Part of the reason why it was they couldn't take off was because of liquidity issues. Now here is the same DG of the department who must consider a bailout being inconvenienced, land in East London, had to travel to Mtaata to connect with us and then move together to the site of Imzibu, Imzibu Dam. And between 
the airport itself and the, with the site where we had to wait for those who landed in East London, we went through such a field and stench because you really don't want to be driving from the airport room to the city center because every other environmental law is being violated there because of the field and the dumping that is taking place there. And I was making an argument that as public servants, at times we make decisions. And I, when I say public servants uh, here, colleagues, I'm referring to everybody in the public sector, including those who are elected and appointed. That you know, we can inconvenience citizens like those who coexist with dads, like those who killed the SA Express. And here we were with our mixed class preoccupations, complaining about you know how inconvenienced we were because this flight had been cancelled and we're driving through traffic and field and dead. Yet every day we make decisions that impact on the livelihoods and well-being and the dignity of the people. And so the point that William is making that. If you if if you want to improve some of the services, you may want those who could call the elite to experience the same, to go through the similar inconvenience experienced by the ordinary people. But William's logic here is that that inconvenience will prompt people to act differently, to make different decisions, to invest differently. And it may be true, but also it is not always the case. And that is why there is an important principle in law which is, uh, you know, without fear or favor and that you must do something. You must take a particular position, even if it is happening to your own brother or sister. But that's not the political logic that drives many politicians to make decisions. Across the world, people act on self-interest. At times, even when the, you know, the, 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 you know, the pendulum is swinging to a different directions, people continue to make decisions that might inconvenience the citizens. Now, the, sec the, the, the most important point also is at what point in the in the nation state do you make such determinations? Now, in countries like Sweden uh, and like Singapore and so on, when a decision were taken that everybody must use public services, the private services at that point were very weak. In as much as these were you know, mixed economy and countries and so on, but the, most of the investment that had happened were geared towards improvement of public services and that is why it is natural that everybody will use public transport because of decades of investment in that regard some of the challenges we are facing in south africa is because of the evolution of the nation stage as we as we as we know it there's some industries including the medical the medical fraternity for example will have consolidated over time and that many people then who work formally will have medical aids and therefore they will use those medical aids the question that william may want to entertain is if there is, a, say, a million public servants, all of them, they are on medical aid, including those at local government plus elected officials, would it improve the health service if all of them crowded the public health system and not used the medical health, health system and used the, the limited results that are available? The answer may be yes, the answer may be, the answer may be no. So this thing diverges, but how the country has evolved over time, the quality and the level of public services matters and that is why what home affairs is doing i think is very exemplary and i think we should be pursuing using maybe the home affairs model to try and push for more modernization of the services the public uh, the, that the public is receiving mm. hey, william busani says uh, there's a risk uh, in your proposition in a sense uh, that that it might lead to if if all the public service I mean you've just heard him if if uh, all the million or so public servants started using uh, public services uh, it might swamp and overwhelm the system maybe make it worse rather than better 
I mean, if we start with the elected representatives, you know, those are the people who are elected or politicians at national level, uh, provincial level, um, and uh, municipal level, I think as a, you know, as an experiment, there's a pilot, and we get them because they are the people who make decisions and they're also, you know, who hold um, your public servants um, accountable uh, in terms of oversight. So I, I think. I mean, uh, if we can start with them, I think we will get um, some kind of accountability. I mean, our, because our problem is that we are struggling with accountability. And then that is why we are getting um, the public service delivery of, of failures, because no one is being held accountable. I mean, just think about it now um, with uh, with the power outages that we have had uh, now almost 20 years. I mean, if many of our politicians actually are uh, insulated um, um, from those power um, outages, or if you just think in terms of um, even our, our public uh, transport. I mean, um, about, say, two months ago, uh, preceding two months ago, there were no metro train out of Soweto to uh, Johannesburg um, City. Now, that has never happened, you know, in the last maybe 60, 70 years. Uh, uh, and so on, and and no politician, elected uh, a politician, says anything about it. But now, if they have traveled, uh, um, you, you know, every day from wherever they are, and they had lived um, in the community, and then had was forced to travel by train um, to, um, uh, you know, to town, it would. I think it would have been a different stories. And the same thing also with public transport. I mean, you know, with taxis, most of our. Most of people travel um, with minibus taxis. I mean, these are um, often, um, it is, you know, coffins, really dead coffins. Um, but nothing has happened. Uh, there's been no regulation. There's no no cleanup, no new kinds of public transport. But if, let's just say, a minister was forced um, to travel uh, in a minibus taxi to the Union buildings every day, <laughs> I think it change. Okay, but I have to, I, I have to ask, you know, uh, and I'm going to ask this of, of both of you. What What is the leader's attraction to the life of bling and privilege? You know, what does it tell us about our leadership? You know, for example, you know, before it got bent down, you know, every at the opening of parliament, you know, the leaders would be there, the red carpet, showing off their latest uh, suits and shoes and shiny bling, etc. What, what, what is causing that? To- totally almost oblivious of uh, the conditions of the people, you know, that they're leading? You know, unfortunately, I mean, in our case in South Africa, um, clearly what has happened is with a new black government came to power in 1994, they decided they could live the life of the former white um, um, elected representatives, uh, you know, um, the big houses, uh, um, subsidized uh, transport, um, and so on. And even the new public black public servants, you know, because you have to realize. I mean, think about us in the in the eighties. Um, the black the black community generally. I mean, there were only a few people who really were, had more wealth than others. I mean, basically, almost everyone were almost about the same. Middle class was was not that um, that last. Now suddenly there was an explosion after nineteen ninety four of the black middle class through um, the public service. And then what happened is that um, new um, black middle class that joined the public service, many of them connected to the governing party, um, ANC, um, they, many of them were before that poor, left in townships or uh, were in exile, and suddenly, yeah, they were now getting the same um, benefits, same kind of salaries, uh, 
the old white uh, uh, people. And then there were also, you know, for many in the private sector, blacks who joined the private sector through affirmative action um, and, and so on, you know, they also started to get uh, benefits. So you had these forces, um, the one uh, elected representatives, new public servants, and the new black elites in the private sector, suddenly, you, you know, their um, standard of living skyrocketed in almost in one moment. I, I mean, I remember at a time in 1994, uh, I mean, our ex then worked for Kusatu, and I do remember that um, Desmond Tutu then said um, during the first few weeks of the Mandela uh, government, they said, look, um, you know, why, why don't you at least take half of... Uh, um, of the salaries that uh, the whites uh, used to have in the public servants and, and maybe set a different tone. And obviously Mandela objected um, to that at the time um, quite publicly. So I think what then happened is that, you, you know, our society or, or rather the black community then began to try to live um, like um, almost overnight, like, the, you know, the white elites um, um, used to live, both in the old public service and in, you know, the white elites in business and everyone below, you, you know, were, maybe didn't have the kind of means who were black, also tried um, to live like that. And, you know, and we really became entangled in this loop uh, of, of of bling, also a loop of if you are seen, you must drive, the, you know, the, the big cars, you must live in certain kind of homes and clothes and so on. But but William, uh, th- this is not just a an ANC phenomenon. In your article, in the main, you know, you you were referring to ANC politicians, but it's a it's a general culture of our of our politics, isn't it? No, no, it is a general culture, not only of our politics, but sadly also uh, we know of our black society. You know, obviously, um, you know, I've I've tried to make an argument for perhaps as because we're coming out of trauma as as a black community, we've been in trauma. Um, and then what has happened, and, and uh, trauma responses in societies, and there's been, uh, you know, many research articles uh, that looked at uh, how people respond um, when they come out of a generational um, trauma, because what it does, it destroys almost the sense of self uh, uh, and so on. And, and one way that, uh, that, that communities respond um, really is by materialism becomes then the response to loss of identity, um, to, um, you know, anxiety, to insecurity. And and I suspect um, that, you know, many individuals actually reach out when the materialism way um, to deal with, um, you, you know, with the sort of insecurity within. Mm, mm. Emerson, I'd, I'd like for you to, to to come in here. You you have um, I mean, I, 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 my interest in 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 what you do is that it suggests that you're saying that there's a nexus between uh, a political leadership and the quality of public servant uh, that that you have in terms of the ability. Of of the state or of government to deliver services. Um, well, when we talk about the professionalization of the public service, what 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 do we refer to here? William is is, is correct, but also there is an issue of the political culture uh, in South Africa. I was telling some academics where, you know, writing a book, I gave them advice. They decided not to take the advice and write some other fables. But I mean, maybe William is something you may begin to look at. That the the political you know, culture in South Africa evolves 
as an evolve over time. So you can take five years off the deity because we'll be 30 years next year and divide. So during Mandela's tenure, you look at those who were in the political office across the three, but in the largely the two spheres, including the public servants. We look at the first term of Tabo Mbeki, the second term, all the way up to now. And you can anticipate what will happen uh, in, the, in the next administration as well. You see a very consistent trend that with the exit of the political leaders, you know, who were steeped in liberation, uh, you know, politics, who had, you know, sacrificed and served over many years, they could drive or be driven in very cheap cars uh, in the first senior of President uh, Mandela, and everything was okay. If you look at the pictures of Mandela's cabinet, you know, I know, of course, uh, there was a particular, you know, you know, culture at the time and how people were dressed and so on. And then you contrast it with uh, with now, you will see major differences. So this thing of the bling politician who, uh, or a celebrity politician or a slaying politician, this phenomenon you see in South Africa and other parts of the developing world, it's also consistent with where we are in the evolution of capitalism and in conspicuous consumption uh, globally. That is why then in countries like China and uh, Singapore, they deal with it proactively because they understand the trend line and how it is moving and how people want to consume, want to show bling, want to show force or power, even if it's by moving people off the streets by just because we've got a, 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 a blue light. So you can see then that the type of things that politicians will be troubled in for today are different to those that people were in trouble for during the tenure of President Mandela. And then the issue of professionalization, you know, it's very important. In the, the battlefield of Singapore, is a question that says, will you treat your mother the same way? Now, whether we're in intelligence service, we are in healthcare and everywhere else, you must always ask, answer that question as a public servant. Elected or appointed, will you treat your mother the same way? Because people would want to tend to not to see their mother suffer the way that they will inflict pain on others. So by talking about professionalization, we've got to make sure that those who are appointed into positions that not only do they qualify in terms of their skills, but also deal with the issues of their own attitudes. Because you can have the most qualified person uh, committing the most atrocious acts, both in terms of how they violate the human rights of patients and citizens, or by looting public uh, public funds. So we've got to professionalize by building those expertise that are required in the service, but also professionalize by making sure chapter 10 of the constitution is what people live, is what people dream, is what people aspire to. And the question would be, will you treat your mother the same way? If you're a police officer at a police station, an 18 year old reports, you know, being sexually assaulted and you're asking your questions, what were you wearing? The question is, if it was your mother, will you ask your mother that particular question? And it speaks to the issue of retaining exceptional standards of, uh, of, of service whether or not you know the you know, the person, regardless of their circumstance, because you will not treat your mother the same the same way. So there's lots of consciousness building that must happen. But you know, lastly, Mike, this is a I'm very pained by this point, and you know, William will admit on it. We the state recruits people from society. In a society where conspicuous consumption is the order of the day, in a society where being ridiculous means you trend, means you become a celebrity. We then in the public sector will end up doing the same because we think it is uh, profitable to do so. So there's a lot more pressures that must happen and campaigns in society in general 
in order to mold and shape those who end up serving uh, the serving the public themselves. It is commendable, therefore, I hope it would be sustained. The idea that came out two years ago from the ruling party benches, which said for appointing mayors, we must check whether people have got some level of qualification and so on. It's a one step in a long journey towards professionalizing the South African uh, civil service. Mm. William, I, I have to ask this of you directly. You know, your proposition, someone might say, I, now now you are, the people want to serve the, serve the country, they want to, you know, lead the country uh, and take on the, this enormous responsibility. Um, and uh, you, you are now coming in and taking away their rights to choose that they've got the human right to choose where to send their kids to, which hospital to use, which doctor to use, etc. What would you say to them? I mean, I have been under criticism the whole week now from people uh, who make that argument. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, obviously I hear them and it's a democracy and, you know, we have freedom of association and, and freedom of, of choice. Um, but I think, you know, it's a ch- I, I'm, I'm throwing out a challenge to all political parties I mean, not only the ANC, but also the DA, the EFF, um, you know, to actually compel the members um, to live in the areas of the constituency, to use public transport, to use uh, uh, public uh, public services uh, in order for them to feel uh, the empathy and the compassion of the voters, you know, for the level, the poor level um, of services, because really, um, what we're having here in South Africa now is a social distance—the social distance between those who are elected, you know, appointed um, to the public sector, and those in ordinary system, uh, ordinary citizens—are too far. Now, if it's too far in a country, you don't get that accountability because those who are elected and appointed, um, you know, are living in a taxpayer-funded, subsidized bubble, so they don't feel the pain. Um, of ordinary citizens, so there's no urgency um, to le- to deliver. You know, a public servant will say to you, "Well, we can do it tomorrow. We can do it next month," um, even though it is a it's an urgent issue um, for an ordinary citizen. So it's a challenge um, from my side to um, to politicians. Um, you know, to so look at the proposal. Yeah, the, the, Epson, I have to, I have to uh, give the last words to you here. There, there, there's a there's a a theory about. You know, William says that no, 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 no. Uh, 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 leaders should not get uh, special treatment. You know, like subsidized housing, transport, free flights, free air tickets, etc. Uh, but but some, I've heard some people saying that oh no, no, people who go into public service have to be incentivized somehow. Here is a reality, and it's a factor everywhere else in the world. So, if you live in Sekukune, you become a member of parliament. Uh, it means that. Uh, and you and eventually become, say, a minister. Yeah, let's say you become a minister. Parliament is in Cape Town. So if it is cost to go to Cape Town, then let's have a debate. Let's say they shut down Cape Town. And you might as well maybe do it now because there is no parliament there. If you were to make that decision to, re- to remove the, that legislative capital from Cape Town, you will cut billions and billions. And therefore, we will not be angry at the fact that billions are being spent on transporting politicians to Cape Town because they must be traveling from Mosina, from Sabia, Lingana, to go to Cape Town. I saw a debate recently in KZN about building of, the, of a, a village for legislatures. If you become a member of parliament 
because there is no village, it means that you must travel from Sabiandingana from your constituency to attend sittings of the provincial legislature. And during that period, you stay in a hotel. How else will you say this? That well, it's an constitutional imperative that their legislatures and they must do their work in parliament. So that cost is unavoidable, first and foremost, because we want to have a representative democracy. Unless you say it must be representative, which, be, which is another debate. Secondly, when you become a minister and you are from Kuruman, how are you expected to move between point A and point B? And you must also attend to what you must do in the legislative capital in Cape Town, where you are, we are, we are accounting to the, we are accounting to parliament. So this debate at times, uh, it becomes very absurd because it means people have not read the constitution and how it provides for having two administrative capital. And the fact that you could be a minister from Kuruman, you must account in parliament where it means you must be accommodated unless you stay in a hotel and you can't stay at your own cost. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. We cannot be exceptional in Australian South Africans and expect a representative democracy and then refuse or want to deny the rights of people to be, to be you know, catered for when they have to move between those. And I don't think those things are abused. They will, of course, they would be bling, and of course, we must cut bling. And William is right. Maybe if there is a ban, I've seen in some countries where we say nobody must move in a blue light. What it does, it stays, just as we do our service directors general. If the meeting is eight, is at eight, we get there at eight. We have to make means without having to be driven in a particular place. You have to be life. early. Yeah, we have to be early. That is what it is. And we've got, we can all say we've got too many responsibilities. There's another debate altogether. But I want to argue that to professionalize the public sector, it is not enough to have the most skilled public servants and with the best of attitude. There's something that must happen as well to the political elite across the political divide because how the political those who hold political positions relate to administration, the decisions that they make, the power that they exercise, have an impact in the manner, in, in the quality of the implementation by public service. Although we must never use that as an excuse. In many cases, we have got heads of departments and accounting officers who've got exceptional power and support and space from politicians to do the right thing. Some of them decide not to do it because we assume these positions we, we, we leave the pomp and the ceremony of being in a position as an executive instead of leaving the pain of ensuring that South Africans get the best quality of service regardless of whether it is your mother or the worst, your worst enemy. Oh, okay. Well, gentlemen, uh, that's where we're going to, be to wrap it up on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly this week. And we'd like to thank you very much for your time, uh, Professor William Kumete from the School of Governance at Vets University and Professor Busani Ngaweni, who is the head of the National School of Government. We really appreciate your time. And by the way, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at podcasts at arena.com. Africa. I'm Mike Siluma. Until next time, do stay safe, stay blessed, and let's do good for our country.